Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to go through verses 10 through 14. Now, let me start off by saying um, I have tons of notes because these five verses are so packed, so compressed, that I think I could do two, three, five, I don't know how many messages just on these five verses because Paul has put so much into them. But, you know, I don't want to do that because we're going through the whole book of Galatians, and what I'm trying to aim for is to give you a working knowledge of the Scriptures. I wrote this morning, I need to preach it so you can run with it. You know, uh, there is some preaching that's kind of like going to the museum. You know, you say, hey, let's go to the museum. Let's see, uh, let's just go hang out over there. You know, and you go and you see some really nice pieces of art, some different paintings and that kind of thing. And then after about an hour and a half or so, it's like, okay, let's go grab lunch. And even though you had an enjoyable experience, it really hasn't changed the way that you think. It hasn't changed the way that you live your life. A lot of sermons are like that. I don't want these messages to be like a visit to the museum. I want to give you a working knowledge of Scripture so what? So you can walk in them. So you understand what the motivation is for, say, hey, the Apostle Paul who gave his life for the gospel. You're no different from him. I'm no different from him. So you ask yourself the question, what drove him to do what he did to give up his uh, actually rich life as a Pharisee and give it all for the gospel? Well, he had a working knowledge of redemption. And so that's what we're aiming for. Now, let me just recap a little bit before we dive into these verses. In Galatians 3, verses 6 through 9, we saw that Paul laid out the fact that it's those of faith, not those of the law, but those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And what he's going to do in verses 10 through 14 is he's going to lay out how that is. He's going to explain why. So, uh, so going back to the way that we approach Scripture, you know, a lot of times, uh, modern days, we use scriptures as kind of like little, uh, almost like fortune cookies, you know? It's like, well, take the scripture, meditate on it, and it will bring you good luck or whatever. If you go through Paul's letters, you see that what he did is he had a revelation of what Jesus going to, cross, to the cross was all about. And then he explains that revelation in his letters. In Ephesians, he says, I've written my letters so you can understand my intelligence into the mystery or the secret of Christ. Because without his letters, without that understanding, Christ just looks like another guy who was crucified by the Roman Empire with rumors that he was raised from the dead. All right? Now, before we dive into the scriptures, let me read this to you because uh, I came across this and I thought, gosh, how scripture confirms scripture. This is from the 
the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 2.16. The writer of Hebrews says this, For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the seed of Abraham. And that fits right in line with what Paul's talking about in Galatians 3, where it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Notice how Scripture is consistent. It's not like the writer of Hebrews is, you know, off in left field somewhere. He's consistent with the secret of the mystery of Christ. Amen. So, we understand that Paul says that it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and we talked about before, Paul has raised the fact that God appears to Abraham and says, through you, all the nations will be blessed. But the big question is, how is this blessing going to reach all the nations? Because when you go back to the Torah or the law, the Old Testament, you see that God makes his promise to Abraham, but the blessing is not going to the other nations. In fact, it's the other nations that are coming up against Israel in the form of God's judgment against Israel because Israel is not adhering to its calling to be a light unto the nations. And I've got this in my notes, Romans 2, verses 17 through 24. You can read that on your own, but Paul, uh, Paul says that the Jews, Israel, was supposed to be a guide to the blind, a light in darkness. In fact, Israel was chosen by God to bring, what, salvation to the ends of the earth. And it didn't do that. She didn't do it. Why? Because her sin blocked the blessing of Abraham from going forward. And you're going to see that in these verses. God has to deal with sin before he's got to deal with the sin problem, and he deals with the sin problem through Israel in order to get Abraham's blessing to the nations. Now, one thing about these verses is you're going you're to see Scripture in a different light than what you're used to seeing it. But the thing about that is we need to stick with Paul's context in the text, what he's writing in the text. What is the narrative that's going through these scriptures? It's no good to say, okay, turn over to Galatians 3.13 and read that, and then just kind of, um, you know, do a gospel bomb on people in a way where you just, you, you take it out of context and come up with some kind of a you know, some kind of narrative on your own. No, you follow what Paul is set, says in Galatians 3.13. You follow the narrative, and when you follow the context, it really does build up your faith. Now, you've heard me say before in the other messages that Deuteronomy 27-32 through 32 holds out the, the covenantal promises and warnings, the blessings and the cursings for Israel. In fact, it's a pretty gruesome catalog of curses that end up, you know, the, the, the final result of the national curses for Israel is exile. God says, 
well, you know, foreign, foreign countries are going to come in. They're going to take away your sons and your daughters. Uh, they're going to be made slaves. They're going to have to serve all these foreign kings, and they're going to have to serve the foreign gods. Exile. In fact, Israel is just going to be wiped out that way. And when you look at the Apostle Paul, you see that he has known all his life that the pagan oppression of Rome was simply the latest in a long line. You had Babylon, Persia, Egypt, Greece, Syria. All of those, at one time or another, came in and oppressed Israel. Took them away as slaves, as captives, as exiles. And when you, see, when you read the Gospels, you see that what? Um, Israel is basically a vassal to Rome. Which is contrary to what some of the promises are in the law. And so the question is, well, what in the world's going on? Because you have God promising Israel certain things in the Old Testament that really just have not come to pass by the time of Christ. So this narrative of Deuteronomy 27 through 32, you know, Moses lays out blessings and curses, promises and warnings, and then, like we said in the other messages, and Moses, after laying all this out, says, oh, you all are going to rebel, and you're going to be taken away, and Israel's really going to be demolished. You hear preachers say all the time, you know, I set before you both life and death, therefore choose life. Moses says that, but then the, the preachers don't go on because he says, well, I tell you to choose life, but basically you're going to choose death. And when you choose death, you're going to have these covenantal curses come upon you. Come upon you, Israel. So, uh, when you get to Deuteronomy 30, out of that narrative, you see that uh, Israel is restored. The thing is, it's restored through, we understand now, through the Messiah, through the Christ, Israel's Christ, and the Spirit. It's not, it's not a, a national re restoration the way that the Jews had thought it would be. Actually, the revelation of the secret of Christ is, the restoration is through Israel's Christ and the Spirit. Amen. So before we dive in, keep this in mind, that Deuteronomy is an ongoing reality with Israel. Israel has come under the covenantal curses, exile and slavery to foreign powers and foreign gods. All right? And this is a direct result of Israel's idolatry and consequent sin. Therefore, for exile to be undone, Israel's sin would have to be wiped out. All right? And you go back to Galatians 1.4. Paul says, uh, Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That's what he's referring to. Because you have God's people, Israel, chosen people, who are under a curse. And when Christ arrives in the gospel, 
Israel is still under a curse. And you're going to find that out once we start diving in. All right? So let's go ahead and read. This is Galatians 3, 10 through 14. I'm going to go ahead and read all the way through, and then we're going to dig in. Paul writes this, ESV version. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For, quote, the righteous shall live by faith, unquote. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. All right? Notice that last verse. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So what Paul is doing, he's looking back all the way back in, this, in the Old Testament, where God appears to Abraham and says, through you all nations will be blessed. And in verse 14, he comes to the, the conclusion that in Christ Jesus, that blessing is coming to the Gentiles. All right? All right, let's go up to 310. Now, what I'm going to do in this message is I'm going to walk you through it. Like I said, I have tons of notes on this, and looking it over, it's like, I've got too many notes. This will take forever. I mean, uh, you have one note that actually uh, goes into another note that begets another note and another one, and then you realize that you haven't even gotten off verse 10, and you just have pages. So I'm going to walk us through this because I want to give you a working knowledge of the scriptures. And once you see it, it's one of those things where you say, oh my gosh, all the pieces are falling together. I get this. I understand this now. I understand what Paul's writing and I understand the narrative. All right? So verse 10, Paul writes, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Now stop right there. Look at what he writes there. He's writing to New Testament believers who have been taught that they need to come in under the law in order to be saved. Remember, that's Acts 15. Now, reading the Greek, it's for as many as are of the law are under a curse. The thing is, it's present tense. He's not saying uh, those who were under the law were under a curse. He says all who rely on the works of the law, the ESV kind of rely on the works, take that out and said those who are of the law, the Israelites, are under a curse. Why? For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, let me break this down a little bit because, man, there's so much preaching that kind of goes off kilter with this verse. 
when Moses presented the law, you know, mediated the law to Israel, uh, where it says here, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Moses, uh, this, uh, this written material, the law was given to Israel as a nation. Now, stop and think about that a minute because, you know, our current preaching is all about individualism. You know, and that's part of our culture. But I want you to go back, think back in your thinking. I mean, we have, um, we don't recognize it as much today as the way they did back in ancient times. But we are part of a nation. You are part of a nation. Let's say you're an American. You're part of a nation. You know, I live in Texas. I'm a Texan. So, you know, sometimes we talk about, well, those Texans, you know, yada, 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 whatever it is, you know, they're really independently minded or something like that. Here in Texas, we talk about those people from California. Well, those, those Californians are yada, yada, yada. See what I mean? We talk about teams and how everybody's working for a team, a baseball team, football team, business team, or anything like that. Why? We're, we're using collective nouns there. And so when you come to verse 10, this is where uh, current preaching gets off kilter. Because the law says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And preaching takes that as a very individualistic scripture. So it's kind of like, okay, well, uh, all the Israelites are independently trying to keep the law. Well, that, in a way, that's true, but this, this prescription is written for the whole nation. So basically, if one person does not do the law, then the nation does not do the law. All right? So, so what Paul is saying here. It's basically uh, Israel is under a national curse because nobody uh, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You could say cursed be Israel who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And Israel did not abide by the book of the law and the covenantal curses came upon Israel. And you see that where he says, for what all who are of the law are under a curse. So Israel is under a curse, and actually that curse is present, present tense. You see that. All right? And that comes from the narrative in Deuteronomy, where Moses said, you're not going to abide by the law and this is what's going to happen to you. And it happened. All right? So he goes on and he says this. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for, quote, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, man, this is a mouthful. Let me see if I can do it justice. 
the ESV is not all, this great, all that great in the translation. Let me give you Richard Hayes' translation because his is better. Paul writes, Now because no one is rectified by the law, it's clear that, quote, the righteous one will live by faith. And he adds, the first clause provides the warrant for the second. Now, let me explain that. Paul writes this. Now, now because no one is rectified, or you could say made righteous by the law. Because what? Under the law, everybody's under a curse. So, what is the remedy? That's the question here. You can have... uh, Well, go back to the ESV. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And then then you can insert, yikes, right? Because it's like, well, what do we do then? I mean, if you're an Israelite, so what happens now? Because no one's justified before God through the law. What a predicament, right? Israel is under the covenantal curses, and it can't get herself out of the curses. And therefore, and we're going to see it later on, the blessing, the the announcement of the blessing by God to Abraham can't go forward because Israel's mired in all this national curse and sin. So what Paul announces in 3.11 is the solution is the remedy for the first part of the verse. No one is justified before God by the law. So here comes the remedy. And it's a quote from the prophet Habakkuk. And actually, Hayes gets this one uh, right, somewhat. He says, the righteous one will live by faith. The first clause provides the warrant for the second. The first clause is the problem, and the second one is the remedy. Now, let let me summarize Habakkuk for you, because we don't have time to go into it, but you can read chapters 1 and chapter 2 through Habakkuk 2.4 is what's quoted here, and you'll get a sense of what Paul is referring to, because this is huge. Now, Habakkuk, you go to that book, and the prophet is complaining to God. And actually, he's complaining about the covenantal curses. And he's like, he's saying, what are we going to do? Because Israel's mired in sin, mired in injustice, But what happens with these covenantal curses, he says, is that the the foreign armies come in and they enact God's judgment on Israel because Israel is not abiding by the law. And Habakkuk says, these guys are even worse than Israel, but this is an endless cycle. This just goes on and on and on. And he says, is there a solution? In fact, when you, read, uh, when you read Habakkuk, he starts off and he says, How long, O Lord? 
said, this is like an endless cycle. Israel seeing continual judgment, the effect of the covenantal curses, and he says, when is this going to end? And then in 2.1, he does something that actually, man, he, he's got some, uh, man, he's a daring prophet. I'm going to read from the Nets translation because I think the Nets translation does, does the best here. Habakkuk 2.1. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on a rock and I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what I should answer to my reproof. So Habakkuk, he, he complains that way to God, and then he says, okay, I'm just going to sit and wait, and I'm going to hear what he has to say about it. And God responds. Verse 2, And the Lord answered me and said, Write a vision, and clearly on a tablet, so that the reader might pursue them. Now, that's a little bit kind of, uh, that's a little bit opaque. Verse 2 is basically what God does is he, he says to Habakkuk, he says, write the vision, write it on tablets so that you can run with it. And what the picture here is, is of uh, a, the proclamation of a king. You know, back in those days, they didn't have internet, they didn't have telegraph, didn't have TV or anything. So what kings would do is that they would make a proclamation. And the scribes would write the proclamation down, and then they would, uh, they would pass out these proclamations to the runners. And the runners would go out and literally run throughout the kingdom with the king's proclamation. And that's how the people knew what the king's proclamation was. And God, actually, the father, he comes to Habakkuk, and he says, write the vision, make it plain, write it on tablets so that a runner may run with it. Isn't that cool? I mean, that is cool. And then he goes on, he says in verse 3, For there is still a vision for an appointed time, and it will rise up at the end and not in vain. What, what the Lord is doing here is that he's providing Habakkuk the answer to these covenantal curses of what's blocking the blessing of Abraham to come to the Gentiles. The Lord goes on and says, If it should tarry, wait for it. For when it comes, it will come and not delay. All right? And in fact, you go back to chapter 1, and the Lord tells Habakkuk, if I told you what I was going to do, you, wouldn't, you won't even believe it. Amen. So, Paul quotes from verse 4, part of verse 4. Now, the net translation translates it like this. If it draws back, the thing is, you go to Hebrews, and Hebrews quotes this, the writer of Hebrews, it's, if he draws back, my soul is not pleased in him. But the just shall live by my faith. Now, you, you dive into that. The just is singular. 
That's where Hayes gets it right. My righteous one said, but my righteous one shall live by my faith or my faithfulness. And Paul in verse 11 says, this is the answer. So let's go back up to verse 11. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law because Israel's under the curses. And Paul writes, but it's evident that the the righteous one shall live by faith or by faithfulness. And what's interesting here, you might have seen it, uh, in the next translation of Habakkuk 2.4, it says, shall live by my faith, meaning the Father's faithfulness. Paul doesn't write that in verse 11. He doesn't write my. Because actually, redemption is a two-way street between the Father and Christ. Jesus had to rely on the faithfulness of the Father to be raised from the dead. He didn't raise himself from the dead. The Father raised him. On the other hand, the Father had to, be, uh, had to rely on Jesus' faithfulness throughout the whole three days and three nights. Amen. So what I want to get here, here, here in verse 11, is that Habakkuk, the vision, is a messianic vision. We usually quote Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith, and just is usually preached as being plural, but actually it's singular. And when you see the context in Habakkuk, you see that God says, oh yeah, there's a plan for the end. Let me tell you what that plan is. And he says, the righteous one shall live by my faithfulness. He's talking about the resurrection. You have Jesus the righteous, what? Him who knew no sin was made to be sin, right? That's all wrapped up in that verse. And that's what Paul is referring to. Now we go to verse 12. He says, But the law is not of faith. Rather, because the one who does them shall live by faith. And what he's doing is he's snapping back to the Galatians who have been taught that they have to come in under the law. So what he's showing here is, well, the righteous one shall live by the faithfulness. And then he says, oh, by the way, The law is not of faith. You do not get off track here. You do not come in under the law, remember? And then even you go back to verse 10 and said, all those who are under the law are under curse. And then you get to verse 13. Man, oh, well, wait, wait a second. I have this in my notes and I want to show you this. Um, I said to you that the quote from Habakkuk is singular. The righteous one shall live by faith or by his faithfulness. I mean, when you think about it, that's right. Jesus, when when he gave himself up on the cross, 
he had to be he had to remain faithful all the way to resurrection all the way to resurrection and in fact I'll throw this in here when uh, he didn't quote Psalm 22 Psalm 22 quotes him on the cross when you read Psalm 22 my God my God why have you forsaken me when you read through that psalm, you see at the end of that psalm, he's praising the Lord for his faithfulness. That's Christ on the cross. And in fact, he, he says in one of the Gospels, he said, into your hands I commend my spirit. And before I call that, Jesus is Geronimo. Because he can't raise himself. He can't resurrect himself. So when he dies, he has to what? He has to live he will live by God's faithfulness, the Father's faithfulness, and you see that in Romans 4.25. Read it. When you see it in this context, it comes alive to you. But what I want to get to here is Habakkuk, the righteous one, is singular. It's messianic. Listen to these scriptures. Acts 3.14. This is Stephen speaking to the mob of Jews who are about to stone him. And he says, But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Acts 7.52 Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Go to Acts 22.14. This is Paul recounting Ananias coming to him. And he said, And the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one. Amen. And to hear, his, hear a voice from his mouth. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Finally, 1 John 2.1, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, or the righteous one. You see that the apostles didn't, didn't say, well, the, the just shall live by faith, Appropriating, appropriating that to themselves, they saw it as the righteous one as being Christ. Now, I've got this in my notes, and I want to read this because this is real important given the, um, given the kind of preaching that's gone on over the last few years about faith versus law. And it fits well in here. This is from a Roman Catholic priest, Ian Wallace. And uh, I want to read this to you because he puts it so well that really there's just not any way to improve on it. He says this about verse 11. It's important to recognize that faith is established here not simply in, contracts, in contrast to the works of the law, but to the dispensation of the law and its curse. He is not making a general statement about how faith rather than the works of the law is the way to righteousness. This would ignore the curse of the law. 
If believers are righteous by faith, Jesus need not have been crucified and the Abrahamic covenant would not have been constrained by the law. Paul demonstrates that the, quote, with capitals, righteous one, unquote, lives by faith. Not just because those with faith are righteous. In support of this, he explains that the curse of the law has been dealt with by the one who is righteous and whose death on the cross assured that the promised spirit could be received by faith. I mean, that's play that back a couple times. That's so good. And it's right on the mark. So we go down to verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, you have to read that in context. I mean, if you didn't read that in context, then, uh, you, you know, look at the KKK lynchings. Really, because it's like, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. You can see that the KKK members, by lynching black people on trees, were taking this verse out of context. That's what their intent was. That's what they were trying to mimic. But that's totally taken out of context. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree comes from Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23. That is part of the law. Go back and you read it. That was for Israelites only. It wasn't for uh, the world at large. This is part of Israel's law, the Torah. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And you go back to the Gospels and you see that the intent of the Jews was to make Jesus cursed. That's why the Jews brought him to Pilate. And then, again, uh, you know, my notes. Uh, this, this talks all about Jesus being crowned king of the Jews. Because when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was crucified as Israel. Now, going back to reading verse 13. Christ redeemed us. Who is Paul talking about? Who's the us there? He's talking about Israel, believing Jews, actually, believing Jews, redeemed us from the curse of the law because Israel was under the curse. You can see that from verse 10. It's still under the curse. You can read it this way. Christ redeemed us, believing Jews, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Why? Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, these believing Jews, that goes back to identification. We talked about that before. You are crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ. So that in Christ Jesus, that blessing to Abraham so that we might, well, might come to the Gentiles. You can see that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ unblocks the blessing of Abraham, just, just what Wallace says. So what? So the promised spirit 
could be received by faith. Amen. Isn't that great? Isn't that great how that works? So in a nutshell, what Paul is saying is, Christ was crucified, became a curse, became a, became a curse by becoming a curse for us. Actually, that was the ultimate exile. You heard me quote from uh, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus, uh, the psalm quotes Jesus on the cross, actually, and he says that. That's recorded in one of the Gospels. That is exile. And in fact, the crucifixion and the burial is the ultimate exile. Restoration occurs in resurrection. And that fulfills Deuteronomy 30. Why? Because Christ became Israel on the cross. Crowned what? King, king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. Israel is summed up in him for all who are believing. So you see here, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham can finally come to the Gentiles. And what is that? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Go back up to Galatians 3, verses 1 through 5. What does Paul say there? He said, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And of course, it's by the hearing of faith. It's by the hearing of what? The righteous one shall live by my faith. Amen. Isn't that fantastic? So this should give you, uh, when you read verses 10 through 14 again, you understand now uh, why the covenantal curses become such a big deal. A big deal to you as a Gentile. You see Israel's history, and you see the undoing of those curses through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So what? So you could receive the promised spirit. And when you receive the promised spirit, that is identification with Christ, and that is becoming a member of the family. So there is no going back in under the law. You understand that now. And that Paul makes that clear. He makes that clear to the Galatian believers, and then when we read it, it's, it becomes clear to us. Amen. So that concludes the message today. Let me go ahead and end with a benediction, and this is out of Romans 16. It's a little bit longer. Always want to end with a benediction. You know, churches these days... Uh, at least my corner of the body of Christ, uh, preachers get to the end and they say, okay, you're dismissed, kind of like we're in a classroom or something. Benedictions are so much better. So let's go ahead and end it with a benediction. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God. That's Habakkuk, isn't it? To bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.